welcome you to episode 40 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest is a fifth generation remover and began his career 28 years ago at the tender age of 15. We discuss his challenges, what he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give himself starting out again, his predictions for the next five years, and what he does outside of the workplace. And as always, we end with a funny moving story. My guest this episode is Wesley Bourne, Managing Director of Bourne's Moves. Enjoy. Good morning, Wesley. How are you this morning? Morning, Colin. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Very well. Welcome to Moving Matters. Thank you for giving up your time today. Thanks very much for having me. Can you tell everybody about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Yeah, so I'm 43 years old. Actually, I'm 43 years old this month. I have three children, aged 12, 9 and 6. My wife, Helen, who's a nurse. Uh, I'm the managing director of Bourne's Moves and I own the business with my brother, Leon, and my cousin, Tom. I'm the chairman of the supervisory board at Harmony Relocation Network, one of the recently appointed directors of MGC Limited and a member of the BAR Overseas Committee. How long have I been in the industry? Well, my first payroll date was the 22nd of August, 1994, I believe. So that's 28 years ago. So I was 15 years old at that time. I wasn't a full-time employee, but following my A-levels, I joined the company as a full-time employee before going off to university in 1997. So what did you study at university? I studied business. Ah, okay. And then brought that into Bournes. I tried to. <laughs> um, and I tried to try to use uh, my education wherever I can. But things have changed a lot over the years. And actually, I find other, other ways and other sources. But certainly, it did have a good grounding for me. And it really did help out in the initial stages coming in, in, into the industry with kind of a background. So I had a lot of education, but very little kind of practical experience. So how did you get started in the industry? Were you dragged into the family business, screaming and shouting? or Uh, No, not at all. Surprisingly, my dad, uh, he actually didn't really want us to come into the business. I have three older siblings, two brothers and a sister. They all joined the military. Uh, They actually all signed up on the same day, left home on the same day. Oh, wow. Two brothers in the Royal Marines and one sister in the Navy. And my father kind of always steered us in a different direction and wanted us to go out and find a living for ourselves. I think he had ideas that we'd go off and be big shot lawyers or something like that. But I think he really wanted us to to have a lifestyle that he didn't necessarily have, something that paid very well and didn't necessarily have all the pressures and the cycles of kind of the economy as he experienced it. So you are fifth generation removal man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So our company was established back in 1875 by Thomas Bourne. And originally it was it was a coal merchant and general haulier uh, with a horse and cart. And over the 
over the time, they developed into other services. My granddad was uh, quite an entrepreneur. Uh, he started doing meat deliveries. He was running a coach hire company. He transitioned into removals. And I think when my, my father and my uncle uh, joined the company in, 19, in the 1960s sometimes, there was a lot of deregulation, I understand, from the transport side of the sector. And that enabled them to actually concentrate on doing longer distance removals. They started doing removals into, across into Europe over a period of time, and they really developed and pushed the business forward from there to become more internationally focused as well over a period of time. So can you tell everybody about your company and the services it offers? Yeah, so today we, we have a variety of services. We provide domestic, European, international, commercial, special project moving services to the private trade and corporate moving sectors. And in addition to that, uh, we have a relocation division that also services our corporate clients. And we operate across four different branches. So we employ 100 people across the company or just over 100 people across the company located in Aylesbury, Cranley, Tunbridge Wells, and our headquarters being in Rye, Sussex. How many trucks are you running, Wesley? I'm not a fan of trucks. I don't count trucks, but it's around 30-odd, I think. And storage-wise, I take it each location has storage facilities? Uh, Yep, all locations with storage facilities. The two largest facilities in Rye, which is about 30,000 square feet, and I think Aylesbury is about... 25,000 square feet. The others are uh, slightly smaller facilities. All containerized, I take it? All containerized, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, they're all full at the moment. <laughs> That's a good thing to be full at the moment. That's very, very good. Time to put your prices up. Yes, absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier that you're chairman of Harmony. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So I joined the board, um, supervisory board in 2009 on the same day actually that my son was born so I started on the board and I've enjoyed it so I've been very fortunate that they've kept me on it and I've kept on going with it and I think it was four or five years ago that they made me chairman of the board. So what exactly is Harmony? Harmony is a a network of independent quality driven organisations very much like our own that focus on servicing and booking corporate business and then having that service within the network. It's supported by a head office in VASP that provides not only quality systems, but some financial systems for assistance, supports in sales and different aspects of kind of our compliance structure. So is this a worldwide group of organizations? Or? Yeah, very much so. So within every country, pretty much on a global basis, you'll find a number of international moving companies that belong to Harmony. I think in the UK, off the top of my head, there's about six or seven. Um, So we're one of them. We were one of the founders in 1993 with a couple of other companies. Interesting. Very interesting. So what challenges have you had to overcome then, Wesley? So I (laughs) I have given this question some thought and I kind of broke it down. I guess over the period of my career, I've broken it down into three areas. I think, firstly, when I first joined the company, I guess the the major challenge was modernization of the business. So having left university, come back, and I was deciding what it was that I, I really wanted to do. At the same time, our company had just lost a major contract 
which was kind of the bread and butter for, for the business. And we had to fairly quickly adapt to new surroundings and find a way forward with a new vision and a, a new mission of what we wanted to achieve. And at that time, my dad was very supportive in recognizing his own limitations as far as technology and things were concerned. And he recognized that perhaps he didn't have the knowledge or the capability to push the company forward in a new direction at that period of time. And I guess that's something that also plays on my mind is I know that it's not too long before that starts coming for me. <laughs> uh, well, all, all children today are born with a mouse in their well, hand. That's, that's very true, yeah. I'm already being outdone by my children, so <laughs> I'm a bit worried about that. So I guess at that stage, I saw it as a, a really good opportunity that I kind of figured, well, if I went and worked somewhere else, yes, I'd get external experience and a different perspective, but it would be very unlikely that I got an opportunity where I could have such a big influence and learn quickly and be able to develop something from, it wasn't from scratch, but it felt like I would be able to put my mark on it straight away. So I joined the company at that stage. I had a lot to learn for a couple of reasons. One, I had no experience in the office whatsoever. Everything I'd done previous to that was always on the vans or in the warehouse. So I had to learn very quickly. I went around trying to learn all the processes within the business, understanding what people did and why they did it. And the one thing I did find was that people were very guarded. <laughs> and like the boss's son coming in, you know, new job, starting to ask questions about what they did, why they did it. I can appreciate now that that must have been quite daunting for a few people. But did you break down that barrier? I tried very hard. Some I managed to break down very well. Yeah. And I would say that I was, I'm a fairly easy person to get on with, I think. Maybe my wife wouldn't say the same, but <laughs> I think, you know, just trying to build those relationships. I was conscious at the time that it was awkward period for everyone. But at the same time, we knew that we had to adapt. So there wasn't many different options available. But the company hadn't kept up in the same way as it could have done with IT and things like that. And they say knowledge is power. We worked or I presented a proposal to put IT into the company and to have a move management system in the company that was functional. And by learning how systems or processes needed to go through the IT system, we actually managed to get control of what everyone was doing and all their processes on how, how that was working. So it was a very rewarding period, but at the same time, very stressful in that people generally protective over change. Change does tend to upset them, especially when, you know, there is risk involved. And unfortunately, you know, we did, we did lose some long-term employees that weren't able to adapt or cope with the level of change that was going on in the business. And equally, I recognize that some people were very, very loyal to, to my father and they were never really going to be or have the same loyalty to me. So as much as I tried to overcome yeah. those, those challenges, it was never really going to, to work out the way that we wanted it to. So I, I did start to build my own team around me. And at the same time, my brother, my younger brother, had just finished his university degree in transport and operations. So he came into the company and joined me. My now brother-in-law just finished his finance degree, so I persuaded him to come join us. 
And one of my good friends, Kirsty, had just finished a marketing degree and we managed to pull her into the company as well. We kind of set up the management team and split all of the responsibilities out, created our vision and our plan of what we wanted to try and achieve over the next five years, focused on how we marketed the company, how we, you know, how we sold into the marketplace. And you know, in five years' time, we were able to, or over that five years' time, we were able to grow the company and really make a mark back into the domestic moving market, which we'd neglected for such a long period of time because the other contract that we had, we just focused yeah. purely on work being given to us and forgetting how to sell back into our own local markets. Yeah, I had a similar thing with a company I was associated with many, many moons ago. They had a large contract and locally people knew the trucks, but they never really did local removals. They were always doing the contract work, which is a shame because, again, once that was pulled from underneath them, it was like, oh, yeah, now we've got to go to our local market. Yes, and our, you know, our brand, when you look at, back at how our brand has transitioned over the years, for quite a few years we've had international movers down the side of our truck. Yeah. Rye is a very, very small town, but it turned off automatically all of those kind of inquiries that we usually would have got. Either that or we were either perceived to be too large a mover and not local enough or too expensive. And all of those things all together, we just had to you know, learn a bit about ourselves and um, focus on how, how we kind of reverse that perception in the marketplace. And we've been working very hard to improve on that and actually fight back and take more of that market share back. After that, the second challenge we had was how we scaled the business back. So, so how we scaled the business to be able to manage future growth. Since I can ever remember, the business has always operated across multiple depots, but not necessarily all of those depots have worked in the same way for us. So there was a lot of focus once we got the team together on figuring out where we wanted the company to project in the next five, 10 years and what the bigger picture was and how how that would look, and then what we needed to do every step along the way to actually be able to execute on those things. A lot of what we needed to achieve wasn't just location, it was people, so how our customer service teams are organized, how our sales teams are organized, how our crews work, all different sorts of things that we had planned out in quite a lot of detail over a period of time. So every step and stage of growth developed another kind of change within the business carried forward. But it also meant that we needed, I guess, when we look back over the last 10 years, we've had to employ some very talented people to help us get where we wanted to be and needed to go. So we have an HR director that we brought on board to try and help us with our strategy on how we develop talent within the business, how we maintain that talent, keep that talent and grow talent. We have a health and safety compliance manager uh, within the business that takes care of all of our quality standards and all of our compliance programs to make sure that wherever we're operating, we're doing things correctly. And if we do make a mistake and we don't do something correctly, then it is picked up on and corrected. We've continued to invest in marketing and rebranding the company to make sure that it's got the right image and the right perception being pushed back out to the marketplace. And one of the big things that we needed to do, which was very heavy investment, was investing in our corporate division and launching our corporate division so that we could actually go out into the marketplace and directly book large global corporate accounts and service them within our facilities. 
Um, so all of those things, I mean, they all happened at different times and there was a plan for those to be executed, but they all put various different strains on either people or the business as a whole. And uh, yeah. those are the things that over a period of time, in addition to the normal kind of market conditions that you work with on a day-to-day basis that you have to try and overcome. But you'd already built your management team to, to facilitate all of this. <laughs> uh, we've... We, we're very young, or we were very young, I feel old now, but uh, we, were very old. <laughs> we were very young and we, you know, we were inexperienced. We were very ambitious, or still are very ambitious, but we've learned a lot along the way and we continue to learn even when I look at the company now and I spend hours looking at all the financial data and all the data that we accumulate for our systems now. We've learned so much year on year because I don't think yeah. any year is is ever the same. So we're always tweaking, we're always doing something different. And then I'd say my last, my last challenge, my third challenge would be the succession of the company. And again, never gone through anything like that before. And in some respects, probably would hope that we'd never have to go through that again. But it was an interesting period, but very tough, I guess, emotionally, because I never really felt Whilst we had put a lot of effort in as a management team into the business, I never really felt it was my business or our business to kind of take away from my dad and my uncle. But they were very open and appreciative um, for us to come into the business and us to want to carry it forward and take it forward. So when the time was right, and I, I remember my dad turning around and kept on saying it, when I no longer add value to the business, you need to tell me and I'll retire. Well, of course, I'd never turn around to dad and say, dad, you're not adding any value to the business. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> Wesley, I'm not, not being funny here, but you can't say that to your dad. <laughs> and so it was, it kind of went along for a number of years and it kind of got to the stage. And I think probably, I know my uncle's health wasn't very good at the time. And my dad was like, okay, I think you guys have probably got it now. They both decided to step back, but of course, you've still got to model what that looks like and how that purchase happens. And it's not just those two individual shareholders that you're trying to buy out. You're also trying to make sure that everyone behind the scenes is looked after and is happy with what's going on. And so it was a huge balancing act. It took a lot of time, which I say a lot of time. It took us just over a year, I think, to make sure you know we got everything right. And probably looking back, maybe a year was, wasn't a lot of time at all, but it seemed to be a, a lot of time. And I guess the one thing I learned about that whole thing is the key for anyone that has to go through anything like that is got to have patience. Empathy is very important because everyone has different requirements and they were all looking for different things. And somehow you've got to kind of bring that all together and try and make it work in the best way it could do for everyone. Clear communication across the line was critical uh, and there had to be plenty of planning to make sure that, you know, everyone was 100% happy with each step that you took. So you didn't take five steps forward and 10 steps back. It was everyone had to kind of sign off at every stage to make sure that they were happy. But I think overall in 2016, Tom, Leon and myself bought Dad and Roy out of the business and hopefully... I'd like to think that Dad and Roy are still very happy about that decision. Do they have any involvement at all? Do they pop in, see how things are going? Um, so, Or do they just leave you to it now? So my uncle retired completely due to his health. 
Uh, my father is a consultant for the business, so we do pull him in for senior management meetings and things like that. But unfortunately, you know, we've gone through very difficult times and still only recently and when the pandemic hit and things like that. So yeah. I sat down, I think, with my dad twice and said, look, dad, we can't afford to do this. We need to stop for a bit and then come back. But he's um, a very grounded man, so he, he understands and he knows that I wouldn't do anything unless it was 100% necessary and it's best to protect than it is to regret, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I have a quick question on a couple of your acquisitions, if I may. So Cooks of Cranley and Robinsons of Aylesbury, Robinsons being one of the more recent purchases. Yes. When you take over a company like that, do you put your management team in and change the way they work or do you let them carry on the way they work? What actually goes on with these acquisitions? So in 2012, we took over Cooks and Cooks was a small domestic mover based in Cranley, which we're still operating out of that site. They had their own systems in place. So on that particular instance, we literally bought the company and continued it operating. We didn't really make any changes. We bought some of our policies into place and things like that, but we didn't really make any major changes. I think that lasted maybe two years before we kind of realized, because it was a different company and it was just sat there running on its own, we weren't paying as much attention to that as we we should have been and we weren't doing all of the things that we would have been had it been seen as borns and a single entity yeah so at that at that stage a few years later we changed our own technology and we decided actually we just bring everything into house under that one technology system and we can control it a lot differently because it does all of our financials and everything as well yeah and so it was kind of all bought in and it's been rebranded in Cranby now Aylesbury was slightly differently when we evaluated that opportunity. Again, they didn't really have any systems there, so we needed to put systems into place straight away. And we didn't see the value of running a dual brand, having experienced it not working for us the first time. So when we integrate everything across to our actual systems, it was just Mm. easier to continue with the Bournes brand and to just to run that single brand across the board. So with Robinsons and Cooks, their names are well known locally. Are you gradually changing the branding to Bournes? Yes, that will happen over a period of time. You know, we don't immediately remove it from vehicles or anything like that. Yeah. I think if you did the same thing 20 years ago, it probably wouldn't have been the thing to do. But marketing and development of brands and how you can actually create your market perceptions or how you need to create your strength in your own SEO listings yep. and things like that yep. is so so different these days that actually you weaken one practice if you're trying to do it through multiple brands or multiple conceptions because unless you're then doubling up on multiple websites and doing things yeah, like yeah. that it can work not in your favor and so we we don't take any decision to immediately remove a brand we don't intentionally and we wouldn't intentionally remove any history from that organization like Aylesbury is still Robinson's of Aylesbury it still has its history we still train and develop that history and so that our people internally and still the same Robinson's people as well but they know how that came about they know how Bournes ended up in that location I'm very sad I teach my kids the same thing. (laughs) 
uh, that history part is very, very important. Yeah. And hopefully then those cultures, those values and everything that that company had should live on and it should develop and still continue forward within our own people and our own organization. Excellent. If you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? Um, um, I would probably say that when I first came into Bournes, one of the services that we just launched to try and find a replacement to the revenue that we had lost was home delivery services. And fairly quickly, we landed two large national retailers and were providing nationwide home delivery services for them. And at the time, we had to learn quickly because we hadn't really done anything like that before. I think at our peak, we were handling just over 300 deliveries nationwide. We didn't have IT to handle that type of work. So I had to learn how to develop a little bit of software very quickly. And we created a, a system out of Microsoft Access to handle all the orders running through and paperwork and things like that. And it put a lot of stress on like just scaling something that big. We had yeah. a separate warehouse. We were doing big order picks. We were doing quality checks and things like that. It did put quite a lot of stress on that kind of division for a set period of time. And what made it worse was looking back, and I'm sure things have changed. And again, like this is our experience. If other companies yeah. out there do home delivery and do it, they probably do it much better than we could have. Maybe they're set up completely differently. But our experience was that the retailers didn't necessarily share our core values and what we perceive as acceptable to deliver a service to a client. They seemed to be a lot more cutthroat than perhaps we were. And we felt that that over a period of time reflected badly on our brand and our people as well. So I think we did that for three, four years. At the time, I was very happy to close that division down and say, okay, enough's enough. We need to concentrate on our core competencies. But I kind of wish I had had the experience or had the confidence to be able to do that sooner because not that it was a waste of time. It was a learning experience, but I feel that we could have been, you know, four years further up the line of where I wanted to be rather than doing something that Mm. I wasn't keen on. So the home deliveries, it sounds like they're more just get the stuff delivered to the home and that's it. Whereas you guys probably want to go above and beyond the service and make sure it's in the house and in the right place and delivered and prestige condition. We had experiences where, you know, wardrobes were ordered. They were one piece, double wardrobes. And if we were delivering to new build houses and things like that, then nine times out of 10, these wardrobes wouldn't go into the houses. The message that we were given, because we'd have to call through any quality problems or any issues that you had at the point of delivery. Most of the time, the orders that we were given was to leave a £900 wardrobe on the garden because the client should have changed no. And it's things like that, it's not acceptable. That's not a service. No. That's not a service, is it? So, yeah. Obviously, then you have an upset client to deal with, and the two retailers didn't last too long. The trouble is the client's going to have their beef with you and you know your guys because you're the delivery crew as such. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know we were deflecting a lot of heat from the retailers at that stage. I remember actually sat at home one, one Easter and we were having huge problems with these wardrobes. And I knew that we were expecting something like another 12 
40 foot containers to come in full of these wardrobes. And I was sat watching TV at Easter and then we had been told by the supplier that they've started to make a kit format. So they're all coming in a kit format. So we were a bit happier with that. But he says, we've got old stock that has been pre-ordered that's on the water that you've got to get rid of first. And their way of getting rid of them was they offered a two-for-one discount at Easter time. And I was literally <laughs> like, oh, no. Every client was going out and buying oh, no. two wardrobes instead of one. It was like, no, that's just doubled up our problems. I didn't want to go back to work after Easter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. So what is your high point of being within the industry? I'm sure you've still got many more to come. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's quite a difficult one to answer that. I'm not, not so sure. So I think I have achieved quite a lot. I've achieved most things I've set out to achieve, which I'm pleased about. So I was on the Young Driver Scheme for my HGV license when I was 18. So I got my HGV license at quite a young age. I'm proud that I'm involved with the BAR doing the things that, you know, I'm learning about with the BAR. So I, I enjoy doing that thing, those things. The fact that I'm chairman of the Harmony Board is something I always wanted to do. And I didn't think I'd, you know, get the opportunity to do that perhaps until later on in my career. So I don't know, really, I, I, I'm proud of all those things. I guess the thing like I, growing up and as a kid, I was a bit of a nerd I went to school with my wife, and my wife regularly reminds me I was a nerd at school. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the thing I'm probably most proud of is that my kids are old enough to know what I do for a living, and they actually think I'm cool at the second. So uh, as long as they think I'm cool, I'm all right. Brilliant. Do you hope that they come into the business at all? (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's the million-dollar question. (laughs) My son is... Old enough, like he's twelve now, so he's um, he started to to make noises and to pay attention, and he keeps on saying, oh, "I want to come and work with you." But I think it would be different, not only because our industry would be different by that yeah. stage, but also I think how the business is growing and developing, it probably won't be the case. The kids or our kids can take over. I mean, there's quite a few of our our children that could want to have an interest. Yeah, and the one thing that we have focused on in Bournes, which has been you know, a major part of the transition over a period of time is that it's got to be the best person for the job, not just the person we've born in the surname. And I know that's really difficult and that can Mm. cause some tensions, but I report into, I have a boss, I report into our board. They hold me accountable as they should do for my job and whether I'm performing my job. And in five, 10 years time, maybe I'm not the best person for the job. Maybe it does need to be someone else. So I try to educate my children in the same way. What one thing would you change within the moving industry? Um, <laughs> not sure I'd say this without offending all your listeners or, or some of your listeners. No, you're not offending, don't worry. <laughs> um, I would probably say this is a, a generalization and it is probably incorrect as a generalization as well, because I know that there's many companies out there, large and small, that do this very, very well and are very professional in the way that their approach is. But I certainly think the one thing that we could do better as organizations, I'm not so worried about the industry because I, I think if you look at other industries, there's sectors that do it much better than we do. But I think appreciating our value 
is a big thing and appreciating our value in that we actually start looking at what we do properly as a business and not a means to a living. So there are, and I think this is the, some of the struggle when we first come into our business, that it was a way of life for my dad. It was a way of life for my uncle and the company did them very well and they built up a lovely company and it was great. But if these companies are going to survive the generations that stand ahead, they have to do more and they have to be structured more as a business and it has to be something that is quantifiable further down the line. And I think if we don't get to grips with that and we don't really understand uh, the value that we add to either our supply chain or our customers, unfortunately, I can see that more and more companies are going to struggle and they would dwindle and you'll have failure eventually or consolidation, whichever. So from an appreciation point of view, are you saying that businesses don't appreciate themselves or the customers don't appreciate the businesses and what they do? I think one leads to the other. So if we don't fully appreciate the value of the service that we provide, customers will never see the value in what you do. And we often talk about, well, regulation will sort everything out or they should make us an official trade because that will sort everything out. And it's it's, it's rubbish, to be honest. It's an excuse why not to do something, in my opinion, because you only have to look at some of the issues and where usually this conversation goes is like movers complaining about the price of what they get for whatever it is that they're doing. and everyone's in the same boat you have companies out there that are able to differentiate themselves and really when you break that back down what is it that we all do we all sell space and we all sell time okay so differentiating space and time is really difficult to do which is why you get the instances where two movers will go head to head and it will come down to price where the one mover gets it And one mover might get one move, another mover might get the other move, and it will continue like that. And what ends up happening is the price slips. Over a period of time, the price will slip. And the only winner out of that scenario is the consumer. Now, we have tried very, very hard not to get sucked into that way of thinking. So we try to focus on uh, not what our competition are doing and not a really don't care too much about our competition because I'm a strong believer that if I focus too much on how or what my competition do, all I can do is mimic my competition and I don't want to mimic anyone. Absolutely. I want to be able to look at my company and I look at my company very, very critically and I look at the areas of where I think that I can improve or add value If it's not to my customers, it's going to be to the people that I employ or to the processes that we have. And I truly believe that I talked about earlier, the people that we recruited, and there'll probably be people that turn around and say, well, I can't afford just to go out and recruit two or three people in the company. And I'd say, okay, well, that's always a risk if those two or three people don't add the value back into your business. So really the question should be is can I afford not to recruit those people and to drive the value of what my business is offering? Because I truly believe that if you if you start looking at focusing on the areas, like focus on your wins and ask what it is that you could have done to sell more. Where could you have pushed a little bit extra margin? Because it's great to win a job, but 
why did you win it at whatever price that you put that into the yeah. marketplace? If you lose a job and we lose a lot more jobs than we win, why did we lose that job? What is it that we did that the client didn't appreciate the value that we were offering? And if the client comes back and says price, there must have been something wrong with the way that we perceived our value over to that client that yeah. they thought our price wasn't good enough. When I look at compliance, I really don't care what other companies do in terms of their own compliance. If they want to overload their three and a half ton vans and crack on, go for it. Eventually, the way I think about it, eventually the law or the regulations will catch up with them and then that will be them done. But uh, we keep our company very compliant. I sleep well at night. I focus on the important things that we need to do and I sell that back into our clients and educate or try to educate them on the importance of what we do and why we do it. Yeah. Secondly, capacity. We've learned a lot over the last few years about capacity. If we've got excess capacity in this industry, and if you've got excess capacity in your company, you can't sell at a premium and start off with. So you don't want any excess capacity. Keep it tight. Keep it simple. Sell out at the highest possible price that you can throughout the course of the year, and then you stem the losses in the quieter periods. And I guess the last thing is focus on making decisions by data. We've changed our locations over a period of time based on the data available to us to support the fact or the reason why we should be in a certain area. So we've moved out of some areas to move into other areas that made more sense for us to be there. I'm not saying that we do anything perfect by any stance, but you know, there's always room for improvement. But I do think that just trying to focus on those five or six things over the past few years, it does make a big difference. So what advice would you give yourself just starting out in the industry again? Well, I don't think it's necessarily industry specific. And I'd say I was a bit of a late learner on this myself. So I don't think I really picked up on this until I was in my 30s. But I do wish I'd known it a bit sooner. But the best bit of advice I have ever been given is invest in yourself. And by that, I mean, don't stop learning. We try and offer a lot of training within our company. We complete a lot of training to try and better people within our company. But if you're offered training courses, take the training courses that are available to you, read books, listen to podcasts, hire a business coach, do whatever it takes to try and improve you as a person, because actually that will help probably be the largest contributor to your success story, whether that's inside this industry or in another industry. That's all you need. Yeah. Training is great. I did the BAR masterclass in November and I can't recommend it highly enough. Anybody listening at the moment who wants to do the next one, contact the BAR. Seriously, you will thoroughly enjoy yourself and learn an awful lot. Absolutely. There, there is some real fantastic training out there and available and at very reasonable prices. So where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years? Where do, I, where do I see myself? <laughs> it's probably not a question for me. It's probably a question for my board. <laughs> but I would like to think I'd still be leading Bournes. I think I've got at least another five years in me. And the rest. Come on, Wesley, <laughs> and the rest. But yeah, I think leading Bournes to be you know the best that we can be within the marketplace. And I don't mean that not necessarily just as a moving company, but as an employer as a whole. Yeah. I think as far as the industry goes, 
we're at very interesting times. We've been through a very interesting period the last couple of years, and we're at a bit of a crossroads really on, you know, how the decisions we make will really impact how we go forward as an industry. And I think when you look at the challenges that we're currently faced with, whether they're cost increases with labour, equipment, assets, we've got supply shortages, capacity shortages across the board, not necessarily just in our industry. So we're also in a very fortunate circumstance where our customers have been paying more for their services. So in my opinion... Rightly so. Yeah, rightfully so. And in my opinion, we're going to see demand drop a little bit. The worst thing that we could do at this moment in time is now go back and start pushing prices back down to the gutters where they were previously. Because it's not necessarily just what's happening now and we can see inflation taking over, which will cause us some issues further down the line. But it's also the projection of what happens in the next couple of years. So you only need to see how much things like cars have increased, lorries are increasing in the same rate. So the opportunity for the moving industry with new regulations and things coming in like the direct vision standard. Yeah. Those types of challenges within our industry are going to add additional cost. And if we're not well prepared for that well in advance and creating that buffer, unfortunately, financially, companies will struggle. So to me, the opportunity is here to stop focusing on the price, focus on the value and selling clients the value of what we do. Absolutely. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off? Well, before... Do your management board leave you alone? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're pretty good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> they have enough talking to me during work hours. They don't want to talk to me that long. <laughs> <laughs> before I had children, you'd usually find me on a golf course, wandering around the rough grass, looking for my balls. <laughs> but since children have come along, uh, not so much. So we do try and, like, weekend is family time. I'm quite good at being able to switch off as far as that's concerned. My two sons play a lot of football, so we're usually at football games Saturdays and Sundays. My daughter is keen on her acting and dance, so uh, we go to some shows as well. We have a dog, so there's always dog walking. I like running, going to the gym during the week, because that then enables me to cook and drink wine during the weekends. So usually that, um, (laughs) that takes up all of my time, to be honest. (laughs) brilliant and finally I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story do you have one or more to tell yeah I've been scratching my head about this because I'm not actually sure if it's a really funny moving story anymore when I think of it back over in my head it makes me cringe a little thinking that actually (laughs) I would try and get away with it and um If this happened in my business now, then I think uh, the repercussions would be a lot more severe. (laughs) But I did mention earlier that I had my HGV2 license when I was 18. So having finished my A-levels, getting ready to go off to university, uh, me and my friend were basically given our truck and we would go across into Europe to work for the summer out in Europe, going back and forth. And the idea being is that we were young, we were single, so we wanted to be away all the time and earning as much money as we could. So one week we were away working on the Dutch-German border and we finished early on the Friday afternoon and we both have a mutual friend that lives in 
Holland in a little town called Vassena that also owned uh, a moving company. So we decided to take the three hour drive there and go and see him for the weekend. And of course, like this is pre vehicle tracking, smartphones, emails. So <laughs> once we set off, we were pretty untraceable, which we were fairly happy about. So we went and parked the truck up at his depot and he took us off for the weekend. And there was this big party, that a Dutch party that we were very excited to be going to. So this party was in this huge barn. Uh, basically, it was live music and shows all evening to the early hours. And it was basically you could drink as much beer as you wanted, but that's all there was to drink. It was Heineken beer and it come out. Uh, you basically walked up to like the bar area and you picked up a crate and then you went back to your group. You drank it and you had to return the crate to get a new one. So there was no wow. no money that exchanged hands or anything like that. It was you walked in for free. You got your beer for free. And the only thing that you had to do is when you walked out of this barn, was to make a contribution. They had these two large barrels that people would just throw money into. So back then it was like guilders and we'd just chuck yeah. 50 guilders in there. So by, I don't know, I think it must have been like four o'clock in the morning or something, um, <laughs> we'd had far too much to drink. And I decided it would be funny to try and push my mate in the canal, which he was a bit more athletic than me. So he dodged my advances. Uh, but unfortunately, he didn't forget those advances. And the next day, we were invited around to a family barbecue on a farm. And he tried to re return the favor. So they both cornered <laughs> me in the corner of this field. And then they tried to throw me in the canal. <laughs> the only way of escaping, and my brain thought a bit quicker than my body, was to try and jump a barbed wire fence. I say jump, I kind of somersaulted through a barbed wire fence, <laughs> stood up and went, ah, I made it, and then looked down and one of my legs was leaking a load of blood all over the place. I looked at it and thought, oh, that's just a scratch, that's fine. Walked a couple of paces and then my knee kind of opened up and there was a great deal of blood coming out of my knee. So oh, no. I'm not very good with blood. I pretty much <laughs> nearly fainted. And they managed to get me back. <laughs> they managed to get me back to the the house, and they bandaged it up, and they took me to hospital. And I had fifteen stitches put into my leg. So wow! At that stage, I was thinking, "Damn it, we're in a lot of trouble because there's no way we should have been in anywhere near Holland." And <laughs> if my dad finds out, he's going to tear us a new one. So we. Managed to get back. We had the job back in Germany Monday morning, nine o'clock. We just decided to crack on, do the best that we could. So we just got back for the job. We turned up to the job and it turned out to be a third floor flat with about 25 oh. meters to, to move. <laughs> and obviously, I should have probably called in for help, but I thought if I call in for help, I'm definitely in trouble. So we got on with the move. And I think by the end of the day, I had one stitch left in my leg. And. Oh. We'd gone for about 10 bandage dressings and uh, I'd lost quite a bit of blood throughout the course of the day as well. Luckily, when we phoned in that evening, we were given instructions to go home. So I was happy that we were on, on our way back so that I could get it dealt with. <laughs> All I had to do was get into the office without my dad seeing, 
get instructions for the rest of the week and then then I could be out there. So luckily when I walked into the office and up to where the driver's lobby was, he wasn't at the window, he was over by the printer. And I thought, okay, excellent, I got away with it. I was, couldn't wear trousers, so I was wearing shorts, so you'd have seen the bandage. I was just about to walk out the office, having received my instructions, and he shouted at me just as I was about to leave. And he goes, come here. He goes, so where have you been then? <laughs> and he was over by the print. <laughs> he was over by the printer. And I said, well, I've just come back from Germany. And he goes, yeah, but what's this? And he waved a bit of paper in my face. And it was an invoice for 375 euros for the stitches. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he was not a happy chappy. And it cost me about a week's wages, I think. But it was a bloody good party, so I can't complain. <laughs> Ah, see, you don't need trackers in those days. Just an invoice from the hospital will do. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, brilliant, Wesley, brilliant. Well, Wesley, thank you very much for giving up your time this morning to record an episode of Moving Matters with me. I truly appreciate it. You're welcome, Colin. Thanks very much for inviting me and having me on. Cheers. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 40 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Wesley Bourne of Bourne's Moves for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Wesley. If you would like to know more about Bourne's Moves and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.